Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, welcome to This Spiritual Fix, season two, episode 20. This is our last regular episode of the season, and we are updating the classic, The Celestine Prophecy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Anna. How's it going? It's going very nicely this morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm in my light expansive phase. I've realized that, you know, we did our shadow work and light work episode and it was just, it just aired when we're recording this. And I've recognized that light work for me is when I'm in a resistless phase. So like, I'm just like expansive because I'm not resisting anything that's coming in. There's nowhere for the light to fractal off of. (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm just like finally enjoying that. It's fine. It feels like respite and it feels like inspiring and it just feels really nice. So I'm, I'm enjoying a light work phase right now. Well, I'm enjoying a really nice case of, I told you so. (laughs) Awesome. I want to give people, I want to give people a little context. So here's my analogy. If you grew up with say religious trauma or wrestling with your sexual identity, transgender, homosexuality, or maybe even kleptomania, or maybe an eating disorder, if you've wrestled with any kind of topics that most people don't wrestle with, you're going to be able to spot them in other people quicker than others. Like I know that I had a borderline eating disorder in college. And after that, if I'm at a dinner party, I can recognize disordered eating right away. I can see who's playing with their food on their plate to make it look like they ate when they did not you know, but anyone who didn't go through that isn't going to recognize it. Right. So it just kind of gives me this sixth sense or this ability to discern. Well, the same is true with sexual predators. I have in my life story been, I don't want to say the victim of, I have been in proximity to or an unfortunate recipient of sexual predatory behavior. And I just, I just can spot it a mile away. Well, in a circle of friends, there was a spiritual teacher who was in my, my book, a sexual predator, and he displayed sexual predatory behavior. And when I brought this up to the friend group, I was dismissed as being blinded by my past. I don't know if I was necessarily gaslit, but I was made to believe that I was not seeing him clearly because he's such an amazing teacher. And I said, you know, I said, you know what, he's an amazing teacher, but I have no desire to learn from someone who also comes with it, sexual predatory behavior and energy. So I'm never, I just have no association with this person. Uh, I have a great teacher in Robbie who would never exploit me. And there's a great teacher within my own heart, which will not exploit me. So I don't need to go find a teacher who has, you know, a blind spot when it comes to women. So anyways, fast forward five years, the friend group finally sees what I see. They spent enough time with him. The moral of the story, I got an apology last night from them saying that they finally could see what I had said. 
And, you know, they asked for forgiveness. I had already forgiven them because I had come to the conclusion that they had, just as this teacher had a blind spot, just as I have blind spots, just as everyone I love has a blind spot, they had a blind spot regarding sexual predation. They, they hadn't experienced it in this, their life, so they couldn't spot it, right? But the reason why I'm bringing this up is I want anyone listening to know that if you, because of your life circumstance, you have been given discernment to recognize things in other people long before others. And even if everyone around you is telling you that you're wrong, trust yourself. I did have some doubts. Maybe, maybe my past has colored, you know, made me see it unclearly. Like maybe I am projecting, you know, there's that fear. Am I projecting? But then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I don't have a pattern of villainizing people. I don't have a pattern of gossiping. I don't sit around looking for the, the worst in others. Like this is the one person that I've cut ties with because life experience has given me discernment. And I think it's really important to be able to recognize when are you being discerning and when are you projecting? If you don't have a habit of projecting, trust that you are discerning and there is nothing wrong with discernment. Actually, it's a gift. I would be throwing all my life experience in the garbage if I was to recognize the sexual predation in this man and then allow myself or my children to be near him. So the moral of the story is, I told you so. In the Just most kidding. loving and high way that you can say such a thing right now. I know. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm a human and there is a part of me that's like, I am so fucking glad they finally see it too. I am so glad. But even if they didn't, I'm glad I forgave them for not seeing it too, because I was ramming my head against a wall, trying to make people see what they weren't ready to see. Right. But that's the crazy thing. Okay. I totally just had an insight while you were saying that is that, so they experience resistance. So apparently there was a reason I said the thing about light work, right? Because we've talked, we, uh, you know, the kind of what I recognized yesterday was that light work is resistless. Shadow work is, is working with your past resistance that's showing up in your life. And dark work is like terminal resistance is the word that they gave me, which is basically running into stuff that feels like it's somebody else's resistance and it's just like attached onto you. But what I recognize when you just said this is that when you say you're hitting your head up against a wall, you are literally hitting your head against their resistance. And there's an equal and opposite force that needs to express itself, right? Because right. in the same way that they have that resistance, you had to experience the backlash, like the the opposing force to that, right? Because you came up against one of their resistances and like them not accepting you and them, them not doing that. So like, I told you so is like your outlet for that energy. I don't know, I, I can't remember. Really yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, like I had run into this before in the past, I had a man, you know, try to rate me and I got away from him and he was in our circle of friends group. And he had a girlfriend who was out of town when this happened. And in my friend group, when I brought it up, you know, I said, this guy did X, Y, and Z when someone was out of town in the friend group, it fractaled. It was like, it became 50% believe me and 50% believed him. And it also happened in college. We had a friend who similarly, she was raped by a friend in our circle. And again, the friend group fractal, half the people believed him and half the people believed her. I of course believed her. I'm no stranger to like, even when it's so obvious that a sexual predator has done X, Y, and Z, half of people are not ready to see it. Even when it's so crystal clear and it's because of their own resistance, their own, their destiny, they needed to stay friends with them, or they have a resistance to believing that anyone's capable of doing this. Or I, you know, there's just, it's so common is what I want to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's interesting. You're saying this. Cause I feel like this also relates, even though the Mesopotamian story that we cut out of shadow and light work isn't related to sexual predatory sexual predatory but it does relate to it so i feel like there's something coming up here in which these are all related because you're feel like you're i can feel how much you want to talk about this like it's just ripe for the picking within you right now mm -hmm. and obviously probably for our listeners as well well in season three we're definitely going to be talking about healing the divine feminine and divine masculine and in there we'll have an episode about and in there we're going to have an episode all about healing internalized misogyny as well as misogyny and in that internal misogyny which is you know internal self-hate of woman i believe that that it's self-hate of women 
to not believe the victim. So we're going to talk about that in season three. And that's a really good segue into our announcements. So this is really the last episode of season two. And we're going to be having an IG live Instagram live recap of season two, as well as some spoilers or, or, you know, not spoilers, but previews previews for season three. So if you're on Instagram, find us at this.spiritual.fix. And on Monday night, November 1st, 7 PM, we're going to be having an Instagram live where we're going to be answering questions about season two and season three. And if you're not on Instagram, just send us an email at this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. We're happy to answer any of those questions on the live. Yep. And what we'll do is we will then post it as a bonus episode in between the seasons. So if you aren't on Instagram, then you can hear it on your regular feed where you normally hear podcasts. You'll hear the audio version. Right. That was announcement number one. Announcement number two is that the Halloween episode is the official end of season two. Yep. And then the third announcement, if you haven't seen it yet, we encourage you to go watch Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu because we're eventually going to do a bonus episode going through each character's primal wounds, their neuro-linguistic programming patterns, as well as their life lessons and healing. It's a great show on Hulu for anyone doing shadow work. And we thought it would be a great little bonus episode. So if you haven't watched it, watch it now so that you're ready for our bonus. And then the fourth announcement is there are no four announcements. I don't know no, why I, I said the that. Uh, the, the fourth one is that you may have heard some ads in our, in our feed, but we have recently, we have the primal wounds packages on our website that are there to help people go through all the primal wounds process, but we wanted to give you guys something this season as well. And so we've put together a package of meditations that are for all about coming home. So whether it's coming home to your body, whether it's going home to your, wherever you is your home in the universe, meeting your spirit guides, as well as a dreams package. And so they're both on the website. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, and if you're interested in really deepening your practice and we can help facilitate that, I encourage you to go there. Right. And also follow us on Instagram because we'll be posting discounts or sometimes free access to these meditations. We'll have like promo codes. We'll announce on our stories there. Yep. Awesome. I think that's it. We're ready now for episode, our final episode of this season, which is kind of a perfect episode because it ties into the drama triangle, which was the theme for season two. Yep, absolutely. So today we are going to be doing a summary of the Celestine prophecy. And if you are a devote listener of the spiritual fix, you will know that I have probably mentioned the Celestine prophecy at least twice, if not three or four times. And I've thought of it multiple times as well. The Celestine Prophecy is a book by James Redfield. It's called Celestine Prophecy, The Celestine Prophecy, An Adventure, because it is an extremely didactic <laughs> telling of, of insights in which, you know, basically it's taking, it's consolidating a lot of Eastern and Western spiritual traditions and making it accessible in the form of this story. The reason I call it didactic is because of the fact that the the plot is very thinly laid out in order to facilitate the learning of these insights in the first book it's nine and then they do another 10 and 11 and 12 in future sequels and this book was published in 1993 and it was originally self-published and then it was picked up by uh you know a publishing house and it became a real hallmark of the spiritual new age of the 90s right so something that started with all sorts of you know in the 80s you're having with the new ages experiencing lots of channeling so things with lazarus and abraham hicks and all that kind of stuff and then you kind of move into this other phase in which the celestine prophecy the way the peaceful warrior things like that really become important in the 90s and then you get into the secret in the in the knots so you know a, qu a quick what's uh, the quick, knots the knots sorry, sorry the zeros the zeros, the 2000s. I call them the naughties because I thought, because in, in other dialects of English, zero is not. They say not point not o, like for 0 0.03. And so I was like, isn't that so clever? We can just call them the naughties. But then I apparently did not. That is a reference that literally no one would Apparently no one else is in on the joke, so. <laughs> 
as they say, it's not a joke if not everyone's laughing. <laughs> Chris, it's cute. I love it. <laughs> I literally just convey all of my weirdness here. Nerd joke. <laughs> Nerd joke. Over the head of many. <laughs> but would it have been so clever if they had been called the naughties and not the, what are they called? Like, what do you call the zeros? I don't know. The double zeros. I don't know. This is, this, yeah. So, you know, I, I, know. I, for me, when I see a gap and a void in the English language for describing things, I like to come up with clever replacements for it. All right. So we're going to dive right into this and we're going to go through this in terms of the insights, because like I said, the actual book itself is very didactic in the sense that like the plot is yeah, for kinda... those of us who sucked at SAT verbal, what does didactic mean exactly? It means you have an ulterior motive. It means the plot is thinly veiled as an ulterior motive to 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 spout out a philosophy. That's what didactic. Okay, kind of like okay, it's kind of like Shakespeare. He spoke on many levels. Well, okay, so so a didactic is usually it's like pejorative. It's like usually not a good thing, right? Like because it's basically oh. saying like like I mean because okay, well, well, the little boy who told Wolf is that a didactic? That is. That's okay. it. Exactly. No, that's exactly what it is, right? Because you have an ulterior motive. You're trying to show a lesson. And so the plot is completely veiled. Like the, the plot is, is only serving the fact of wanting to actually tell you what the lessons are. Right. And okay. So it's and like, for anyone, I'm not even going to bother to build up the story because we're just going to go from one lesson to the next lesson to the next lesson to the next lesson. That's what All this right. is. And we so, have a lot of international listeners, so they might not be familiar with that story, but it's a children's story. We tell kids in, in North America that, there was a little boy cried wolf and then no one believed him when the wolf really came that's that's all you missed there yeah yeah and in fact i was just reading another book that had a very similar telling of that i think that's a very common i wouldn't be surprised if every culture had a version of that even if it wasn't crying wolf so here we go for the first insight okay so basically these insights like i said they come from eastern and western spiritual ideas all right so the first insight <laughs> is synchronicity and the idea is that synchronicity provides access so this is what I like to call breadcrumbs. So like the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs where you're like, oh, there are things going on right now. And basically the idea is that synchronicity exists. And for those of you who don't know synchronicity, it's a term that was coined, I believe, by Carl Jung to describe coincidences as more than just coincidences, right? So it's, it's instead of saying, oh, I just happened to meet somebody I haven't seen in 10 years. And then they told me this really important piece of information that would be more of a synchronicity and not a coincidence, right? And so synchronicity is a word that gets thrown around a ton in both the new age and the now age, but, and it didn't have an origin in this book, but this book describes it as a very, very key, important thing to understanding that there is a higher design in the world, which is going to be the second insight. But the first insight is synchronicity provides access. Access is a word that we use on this spiritual fix to describe how you kind of get into your lessons. So an example of this is when you see someone that looks like someone you know, you're meant to go talk to them, right? So when you see somebody on the street or when you see somebody like, or, or when you run into somebody's name that you haven't seen in a long time and it just happens to be that they're running into your path, like go and explore, go and investigate what this person, the reason that they're showing up in your life. And that is is important and then you also every morning if you want you remind yourself that it exists because by reminding yourself that it exists it's more likely to appear in your world and we'll kind of get into why that is here as we go down these list of insights so the second insight is that the world has a spiritual design the way i kind of like to say this in a different way is that the world is consciousness based and not material based so it's not based in matter it's based in consciousness and that you know they explain this to say that religion used to be, it used to fill the space of both the science, so to speak, the belief systems, as well as the spirituality. And when science replaced religion, it left a spiritual void, right? And so as a result of that, you're, you're seeing that, that, that people are trying to find, and again, circa 1993, people are trying to find the greater experience in the world that is sits outside of religion. And now you have the last I heard was two years ago, in America, something like 48% of Americans identify as non denominational spiritual, right? That's awesome. 
right? And that's such a huge shift from where it was in 1993, right? Where it's like people may not know what they're doing. They may not have anything. God, that's 30 years ago. I can't, that's like almost 30 years ago. I can't even believe that. Well, I love this quote that I recently read and it said, religion is worshiping the messenger. Spirituality is worshiping the message. So I think people are becoming more spiritual as they start to see the corruption involved in the messenger. Yeah. All right. So the third insight, we're going into the third insight because the third insight is that giving, right? So the, uh, the, the, and I'll kind of get into what giving means, but giving is uh, the way to basically work into the karmic design. And they use the word karmic design in the Celestine prophecy and spiritual design somewhat interchangeably, but the idea that like, there is an exchange of energy that's continually going on between every single person in the world. The majority of us are taught by our parents and taught by the world to take. But when we start to give, right, we're seeing that there's actually a whole other level of reality that starts to, to happen when we're giving our energy freely, not from a place of scarcity, right but from a place of recognizing that it is universal and one of the things i love about the third insight in the story and this was when i picked up this book randomly in a bookstore in new zealand back in i guess it was 2005 you know this story about in the third insight was like convinced me to keep reading even when i was just like okay this story is a little thin and you know da, 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 that was the story yeah the was, story was i remember the story was lame you should have just done this the lessons, but right, right. But I think that that happened a lot. I think that that teachers were continually masking their lessons within stories. And some stories were better than others as because it wasn't, it's hard. It's hard as a writer to just be like, I'm going to bring forth a new philosophy. We don't have philosophers. But I mean, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz did that. He was just like, yo, these are the five agreements. Yeah. Yeah. Some people can do it apparently, but apparently it's also very common for fiction to be used to mask the lessons. Um, oh, and I'm not trying to bash you, James Redfield. Your book's awesome. Yeah. So, but this third insight is what really helped. The idea is that the third insight, just to give more information, is that subtle energy exists everywhere. And by giving, you receive in the form of, a, of your spiritual path being lit up. Right. So the, the example that they used was they, he found himself in a garden oasis in Peru, right? Because all of the story takes place in Peru and the garden was basically him was the whole place was set up so that people were meditating on the food that was being grown there because they wanted to make it more nutrient dense. Because the understanding was, is that if you sat there and you gave freely to the plants, the plants would then become so filled with life and nutrient density that they would just, they would far exceed anything that they could normally do in any other way. So this is, this is how in the book, this is the story that he described and the place that he described. And I don't actually think it's a real place, but in the story, this is how he described this, this idea of subtle energy is that when we give we're actually given so much in return as a as as a way to 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 kind of look and see what our path is right, right. as well as to get nutrient dense food i want to i want to say ojo ojo i don't know the, the english equivalent watch out careful here when you're giving you got to keep in mind the drama triangle because you can easily confuse this lesson with rescuing in the drama triangle, right? Like if you're like, oh, I should give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. And then you're resentful later, or you're waiting, or then you play the victim card later, you know, in the drama triangle thing, you didn't really fucking give because you had ulterior motives, right? Right. And that, I think, I think totally we should get into control oh, we're gonna... dramas here in a second. Control okay, okay. dramas is the next insight. Cause I'm just really... going to say, I'm reading this and my codependent ass is like, oh shit, I should be giving. I should give more. I should give. And then my spiritual path is lit up. Give, give, give. I'm like, no, that get, if you, if you're giving from the wrong place, you are playing rescuer in the drama triangle and you're going to eventually flip and be the victim or the persecutor. And that definitely doesn't light up your spiritual path. 
No, no. But that's that's why I think the way that he described this lesson was literally people standing there meditating over plants. Yeah. Like he was looking at the subtle energy. He's it's not it's not like don't give more chores to somebody else or you know like give by doing more chores or you don't give by like it's not about that. It's about recognizing the subtle energy that is exchanged between people and is exchanged between us and the environment around us and recognizing that that by I mean and and that's the, the literally all of these insights are lined up to give you the understanding of how you can do that healthily right and that's where we're going with this right is like if you were to just stop at the third insight then you could easily fall into being a rescuer right but well but it builds up and it builds up and it builds up because eventually and this is something that we're also going to talk about in depth is that eventually what you see is that is that there is energy available everywhere and it's not necessarily sitting in other people then you're not taking their energy right so that's the whole idea with this and and so you know when you find that higher form of giving of subtle energy right using again the example of a person sitting meditating on a plant what you start to see is that you will start to attract people who are more like same like-minded as you are on the same frequency or is the same resonance as you and you're also going to be starting to help with other people's quests so like if everybody's on this massive game of life and they're all on this quest to learn their lessons by by giving in this way you're and and obviously following the rest of the insights to give in a really healthy way then you are able to to help them to help other people on their quests and so we're going to go into the control dramas. Let's go straight into the fourth and the control dramas. So the fourth insight is 100% the human control drama. And this gets conveyed in the book because as soon as the author or the narrator, who they never name, the narrator starts to see the subtle energy that exists between the person and the plant and how it's being exchanged, he starts to see two people get in a fight. He sees two people get in a fight and he sees how when they get in a fight, one person is taking energy from the other person and then the other person is taking the energy back and then taking more of the energy. And by seeing the subtle energy, by, by being able to physically see it or be able to sense it, he's able to recognize that these human control dramas exist. And the reason they're called human control dramas is because what they're doing is they're trying to control other people's energy. And this is what relates directly to the drama triangle. Mm -hmm. right we were calling it passing the ball but this is yeah it's the same thing it is it is the same thing and so there's two relationships that he conveys in this one is the victim and the intimidator which is again the abuser and the abusee right again we're going back to this drama triangle where we can see uh -huh. or the persecutor and victim yes and then the next is the questioner and the aloof and so I've been trying to think about it. I'm like the, the questioner and, and to kind of explain that more, the inquisitor. It's the rescuer and the victim. Yeah, it's again, the rescuer and the victim, right? So it's amazing how he's describing the drama triangle. He's just using different language for it, mm -hmm. right? So so the, the, the inquisitor and the, and the aloof is like the, the, the rescuer who's trying to be like, hey, tell me all this information, tell me all this information so that I can help you and asking the person and almost acting as a persecutor rescuer sort of thing like really asking someone a bunch of information and by doing that and by rescuing them or thinking that you're rescuing them or thinking that you're getting the information in order to rescue them you are pulling from their energy and then the person who then doesn't answer the questions or who pulls away or who who becomes really hard to you know they're possibly a rejection wound person too pulling that into it but they are they are getting energy back simply by not answering the questions or by, right. by, by pulling away and becoming aloof. Right. Right. Yeah. And they might not know they're doing it. Like if you listen to this and you're a shy person and you don't open up easily, you're not may maybe cognizant that you're trying to manipulate energy, but it, it, it kind of is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting with this, and they go on to explain really quickly when we get to the fifth insight, is we'll talk about how James Redfield in this book describes how to get out of this dynamic, which is just, again, another tool to get out of the drama triangle, right? Because when I first read about this, I can't even tell you, I, 
it just opened up so much. And I feel like it laid the groundwork for me to understand the drama triangle years and years and years later, right? Because I was like, oh my God, like this, this was the aha moment for me. Like, again, the third insight made me keep reading because I was like, ooh, plants and energy. And that sounds really amazing. And then the fourth one, I was just like, holy shit. Okay, so we have been taught from our parents and from everyone around us that the only way that we can get subtle energy, the only way that we can get the energy that the vital energy that we need to survive is by stealing it from other people. And that's huge. I mean, think about think about all of the relationships that you've had to date, like how many of those relationships can anyone here honestly say was created from a place of of not having to take energy from the other person? Right? right of of like how many how many of it comes from a higher source like how many people have you met that when you interact with them they don't behave in that way they don't they don't they don't fall into the drama and they're just like nope i yeah i don't need to well i'm taking this course called conscious parenting mastery and even in that the teacher says you know look at your intentions for having children like it might look all noble oh i want to have children i want to love them but like behind it, there is usually a selfish motive. I want someone who's going to love me unconditionally. I'm going to want someone that I can project my uh, unfulfilled desires onto their future. You know, like if you are really honest and look at your motivations for the people you're with, there's often a very selfish motivation. Like even if you're, I'm going to go volunteer at a homeless shelter. Why? Maybe, maybe because it makes you feel good. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to bash the human spirit here, but I think recognizing our selfishness is the first step. It is the first step to becoming more conscious and aware so you can come out of this cycle. Like recognizing your selfish intentions doesn't make you a bad person. It's just the first step, I think, in overcoming this. So yeah, yeah, I'm not all, I'm not all jaded here. I, I mean- Well, no, I think that, I think that also goes to the dark practice or the shadow work practice of what, how does this serve me? Like, how do the bad things serve me and how do the good things serve me? Okay. So I want to go and volunteer at a food bank. How does this serve me? Does this serve me as an altruistic thing or does it serve me because I want to, you know, I feel as if I can become somebody in this, in this environment and they can, I can become indispensable and I can rescue as much as I want. Like, you know, asking or I get question feed the question, how does I get, it serve me? Yeah. yeah, I get to feed the character of the altruistic, you know, I get to inflate my ego. Right, right. So this is the fifth insight is another way of describing how you can receive insight, which is from if for those of you who aren't familiar in our first season, episode 20, we talk about insight and how it how important it is to kind of our spiritual awakening. So the fifth insight talks about how you can receive insight and kind of fast forward your journey through this spiritual connection. But one of the, you know, the spiritual connection being finding a way to give that is not in the control drama, right? That is not taking energy from other people, but trying to, to cultivate within yourself this greater sense of how do I actually give that is outside of this control drama. And one of the things that they talk about around this, this insight is they they show a relationship between a parent and a child, right? Which is so interesting that you brought up conscious parenting because I remember when I read this, I was like, oh fuck, I can't have kids now. Because one of the <laughs> things that he describes is he describes modeling a life without the control drama with your kid and how you need to keep a one-to-one ratio all the time. Like one parent to one child and that parent is giving attention to that child freely and is giving energy to that child freely without being in a control drama. And they're continually modeling life and energy, like giving energy without needing anything in return or without taking it from the other person. I was like, that seems like fucking impossible. Like, I don't yeah, know who that, can do that, that. That is, that's next level guilt, parent guilting, or that's next level parent shaming. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Really Not is. only do you need to protect them from drama, you have to give them one-on-one attention at all time and stay out of the drama triangle while doing so. Yeah. yeah. Try getting through potty training with that one. 
so so i i don't know if james redfield was a parent at this point. must not have been <laughs> he must never have tried to potty train a toddler i don't know but i definitely was i was definitely terrified i was like i don't think i can fucking do this like i don't think i can be a parent if i have to be with them all the time and i mean in some ways i am doing that because you know my my kids are homeschooled and stuff like that but it's definitely a one to two ratio because i work during the day luke and i have been listening to men are from mars and women are from venus which oh i love out, that which came out in the 2000s or something like that i think earlier the 80s maybe my husband and I found is that like some of it really rings true, but there's other parts where I'm like, actually I'm half masculine, half feminine. I also need to go into my cave for those of you who've read it. Like the men are supposed to go into their cave and the women want to be talked to emotionally. I like, I'm like, I, I flip flop between the two. Like I flip flop between needing both of those things. And, you know, I think that Luke does as well. And like, it, it's just really interesting because these books came out around the same time and there's something to be said for the fact that our development and our spiritual development is going so fast that what happened, well, a book that was published 30 years ago now, like it would be the equivalent of a book in 1993 being published in 1963 is what we're talking about. I know it's like 28 years, it's not quite 30, but so, you know, I think this is a really important book to recognize the origins of all of this stuff, but I'm also hoping that I am updating some of the language so that you guys can hear how, you know, the human control dramas are the drama triangle, right? How synchronicity provides access, like just giving you guys a couple of examples of like how these same ideas are somewhat timeless because he's pulling them from Eastern and Western traditions, but they're also, we also can update them to feel good in a language that we can use right now. Can I bring something up about the synchronicities? Yeah. So I channeled a book from Archangel Michael, which I still haven't published because fuck, I just, whatever. I don't know. It's not ready. It's the time. It's not, not ready. I'm going to trust in divine timing. It's not ready. But one of the things he said is that, that for every chakra, you have a corresponding intuition. So synchronicities are actually coming from the chakra that is above your head. Rest Ch to Chittakash. Okay. So there's a chakra that rests about, I think it's about six to 12 inches above your head. Well, anyways, there is that. So each chakra has a corresponding intuition. So for example, if your third eye chakra is very prominent, you're going to be really good at seeing things, right? Seeing visions. If your say heart chakra is your predominant open chakra or harmonious chakra, we would say, then you're really good at emotionally intuiting things. So if you're not getting a lot of in, uh, synchronicities have to do with that chakra that is resting outside of the human body because synchronicities are happening outside of the human body. So therefore synchronicities are when events outside of you seem to be calling you, right? Like, you know, seeing the same number over and over and over again, that's something outside of you. So that has to do with a chakra that's resting outside of your body. If you're not getting a lot of synchronicities, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It just might mean that that chakra is not the most harmonious chakra in your system, but there are other chakras. There are other ways that your intuition is lighting up to let you know you're on the right path. Cause I just wanted to like clarify, not everyone is going to get synchronicities because not everyone's chakra that's outside of the body is their prominent one. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's a great example of how these ideas get updated. Right. right. Like so that would be my update to this is like, okay, there's synchronicities, but we have so many chakras. There's so many other ways that you can get validation. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. So on to the sixth insight. This insight insight is all about sensing a life mission. And this one is really fun and it's an exercise that you can do at home. So basically the idea is that your parents, your life mission can also can be intuited or can kind of be drawn from what your parents' life missions are, right? So the exercise is write what your, your and, and this is actually interesting because for me, I didn't have a traditional mother, father, I had a mother, father, and stepmother, and I was like, I'm confused. Whose life mission do I have? I started with my mother and father, and then I ended up adding my stepmother into it as kind of a secondary to my father because she amplified my father's, right? So for people who have kind of different 
family structures maybe you didn't have maybe you had three fathers maybe you had uh no fathers maybe you had things like that like any parent that you have that comes into your life prominently parental figure guardian you basically write down what you believe their life mission is right like because sometimes it's easier when it's outside of you especially when it's someone you know so for instance my father's life mission was to keep his life you know somewhat simple and stable but also be able to to explore and his programming, he was a programmer for, he's still, you know, he's retired now, but he was a programmer for 50 years and he stayed a programmer, right? He never wanted to become a manager, right? So he wanted to solve problems and use his mind in that way. He was very much the scientist. He was very much all that. And my mother was an actress and her aspiration was to become the director and was to become the ultimate experience of the creative. So for me, I am the combination of those two people, right? So I, that's where I have this like flip-flopping between being a scientist and being a psychic all the time, because mm. I can see how my life combines from my parents' lives in terms of my life mission. But the, the children is, are always amplifying what their parents have, right? Which is how we keep standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, right? Like it's how we keep progressing is that our ch children are always going to take it one step further, maybe 10 steps further. Wow. I'm looking at mine. I think it's so accurate. My dad's life mission, I think, is to see the beauty in all things. He's an artist. The way that he looks at a sunset, it's you think it was the first sunset he ever saw, you know? My mother's was to help the sick or help people. Mm -hmm. And then my stepmother's is to keep the balance in things. Wow. That's such an amazing summary of your people, of your missions. Like, that's I very think it's like actually very, very, I feel like that's very, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's what we're talking about with the sixth insight is that you're really sensing a life mission. And again, like we said, when you start to get into this place of giving from a place that is not in the control drama, then your spiritual path gets lit up and your life mission starts to get lit up in a way too. And then all of a sudden you can start to see it in synchronicities, or like you said, numbers, you're seeing it with your eyes, you're sensing it with your ears, you're hearing patterns that are combining. When you start to get into the flow of this experience, that's when everything starts to align and make it really, really clear kind of what your purpose is. Yeah. Cause when you stop resisting it, it, the, the, in the flow is basically code for letting go of resistance. So if you yeah. can let go resistance, all of your little chakras are going to light up. Yep. Yep. And so that leads to the seventh insight, which is that following your intuition, your intuition will lead you towards your life calling, right? So, so basically the idea is that as you, soon as you start to get the energy from the external environment, as soon as you start to get out of the control dramas, as soon as you kind of figure out like the, the breadcrumbs that have been left for you so far in your life prior to this point for what your life mission is, the voice inside the back of your head starts to light up right and it may not be the voice inside the back of your head like anna says she's got this whole i'm like i think maybe the cycle of joy needs to be published now because to accompany this this you know no problem right just go publish a book anna already but the majority of the book has been written by archangel michael i just have to get my shit together and write that first chapter yeah the um, anyways but but the idea being that an intuition will come up and that int intuition will come in the form of inspiration that has no logical place in the sequence of events so why and, and the way you can test that is like why did i think of this right now right and so we're going to be uh there's an interview next season in which we talk to a woman called laura day who teaches people to be intuitive and one of the things that she talks about is how when you have a question you say the question right so you say whatever it is like am i supposed to take this job am i supposed to supposed to divorce my spouse and then you pay attention to where your eyes, she uses her eyes, pay attention to where your eyes go in your room. Okay, they're sitting on a candle. Okay, they're sitting on a, a, a picture of a burned building. Okay, they're sitting on a thing. And so like by using your eyes, she teaches you to use your intuition in that way. Like wherever your attention is drawn, your attention is going to answer that question. And it's the same thing. It may appear as something with your vision, if it's strongest in that way. It may appear in words that you're hearing in commercials. Like maybe you're hearing a word in a commercial and it just keeps ringing in your head, or maybe you're getting, which is me, I'm a mentalist. The question just comes up, like you're just inspired suddenly to think about something with this. And then that is what gives you the insight to tap into your intuition in ways that you haven't done before. Right. And one thing I really love is Ram Das gives a great lecture. A person in the audience asks the question, 
how can you recognize that the voice that you're hearing inside your head is your ego or like your higher self? And Ram Dass's answer is great. He's like, just keep listening and follow it. Your spiritual path is a path of error. Like the spiritual path is a path of trial and error and making mistakes. So sometimes you might hear that voice and it's telling you do X, Y, or Z, but that's really just your ego. And sometimes it's your still small voice as the Quakers call it, the still small voice. And it really is your higher intuitive self. How are you going to be able to differentiate was like what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, life experience is going to give you that capacity to have discretion. So just keep listening to it. And sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong and see if you can notice the nuances of when it's wrong. Was it really that still small voice or was it the ego? It's just a trial and error game in a way. Yep. And ultimately what it comes down to is that I, I, I work with some people who I'll, I'll use myself as the example. When I first learned about tarot cards and muscle testing, I literally wouldn't make a decision without going to them because I was so afraid of making the wrong decision. I know. So I, I remember there was a time I would ask my spirit guides what I should even eat for lunch. <laughs> and with great power comes great responsibility to not do that shit. <laughs> They're like, there's Anna again. What the fuck? She's going to ask us what to order on this menu. <laughs> but that's the thing is that like, what you start to recognize is that sometimes that can you're trying to bypass pain or bad consequences in your life and this could be a trauma response that you were basically not wanting something bad to happen in your life it could be that you're always just wanting good to happen in which case then you're bypassing the natural ebb and flow of life in which bad things quote unquote bad things appear to uh, like think because if you if you bypass your life so that you only ever eat food that's amazing off the menu so to speak the menu of life then you're not giving yourself the spiritual food that you need, which is you need to be able to expand and contract. Like you need to do your shadow work. You need to do, you know, you need to do those practices. You can't just eat the good food off the menu. You have to be able to eat, sometimes make bad choices in order to give yourself the food that is going to grow you in a different way, that is going to grow you in the way that you need to, right? Right, like maybe if you're on the gluten-free thing, maybe you need to fuck up and eat the gluten and then see the reaction it causes to be like, oh yeah, that is the fucking culprit. You know, that's an example. Exactly, exactly. And so if you're anything like me, or like I was, and I couldn't make a decision without going to higher consciousness to, to, to test it, then, recognize that that could be a trauma response because that's what it was for me, right? It could be something else, but for me, it was a trauma response of trying to avoid pain and trying to avoid bad consequences and things happening to me. I was so fearful that things would go wrong that I started contracting my shadow work and not doing it, right? And and not and not testing myself. Like that's your testing ground. And when things go to shit, that's how you test. That's how you know that you've actually learned what you need to learn is because you get into the fire and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm fucking fireproof. Like I get this now, right? That's the real trick yeah. of this. I can walk across the hot coals because I'm testing myself. And you need those, you need those what we would consider bad consequences or bad choices in order to test yourself mm -hmm. and probably for other reasons too, but. Right. All right. Yeah. yeah. So eighth insight, the eighth insight is for when you run into people who are not on your wavelength and you're like, the, the, in the story, they describe it as like someone who you've met with a synchronicity and they're not telling you what they're supposed to tell you because a lot of the times in this book what they talk about is that a synchronicity leads it so that you go talk to a person and then the, the person you talk to gives you a clue like they give you some sort of clue about your life's mission they give you some sort of clue about your quest and if you run into a person who doesn't want to give you the clue that they have how do you get around that and the eighth insight is all about how you visualize the person you're effective how you visualize it's Ho'oponopono. It is. It is. It's Ho'oponopono. It's forgiving them and it's visualizing them in a different place because by visualizing in a different place, you're almost, you're also lending, you're giving them energy. You're giving them energy to be able to rise to that different place. If that's what you, if that's what they want to do. And so that is the eighth insight is, and, and we can, and that, and our update of that is Ho'oponopono like forgiving them, seeing them in their highest self, seeing yeah, them always as their highest self. Yeah. I love this quote, see the light in others and treat them as if that's all you see. Yeah. Like we, everyone is like, again, what I was saying in the beginning of the episode, everyone has their blind spot. There's like no one on earth who doesn't have a blind spot. 
And even Ram Dass said upon enlightenment, he found that even some of his neuroses stayed like even the most perfect person is going to have some blind spots. So try to focus on the beautiful part of them and forgive their blind spot. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. And so the ninth insight is the last insight in the original Celestine Prophecy book. And it is the step in which everybody, <laughs> spoiler alert, it's the thing where in, in which they recognize that the Mayans didn't die out. They actually transcended human physical form because what they recognized was that you, the fulfillment of human dest destiny is to transcend physical body, the physical body. And when you have more than one person doing this work, and you know, it's kind of the whole, when two people gather, when two or more people gather, like it becomes viral to use it in our current, current language, this experience of transcending, of transcending the need for the control dramas of, of finding your life's mission of, of feeding and being fed by the collective spiritual energy that is available everywhere to everybody. So it, it amplifies way beyond the scope of any one individual. And then it kind of becomes this resonance that's just like contagious in a very good way. We know people who are working on their Adam Cadman bodies, which is a particular idea of basically upgrading your body to to be a basically amplifying your kind of etheric body or like one of your unseen bodies, as we would say, to be able to, to not- To basically to do what the Mayans did. If, if the Mayans transcended yeah. the human body, it's basically doing that. And it's a Kabbalistic thing. We'll just put a link in the show notes. That's not for everyone, but if, if that really interests you, the link's in the show notes. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that happens at the end of this book is that he comes across, the, the, the narrator comes across a beautiful vista and by looking at an old growth forest that is its most beautiful, he's able to gather significant energy from this old growth forest. It's it, in the book, it's one of the examples of how you can get energy from other sources. And that is one of the things that he does is he sees the beauty and he recognizes the beauty and he really experiences his feminine heart within his body. And that is how he's able to love and embrace the world around him to be able to get enough energy to then transcend this body. So Anna, do you want to go now into the, the other ways that you can gain energy? Sure. I came up with about 20 things and I'm going to put them in our show notes of different ways that you can get energy without being a vampire. So energy vampire or a drama triangle player, whatever you want to call it. So I've got these lists. I'm going to go through them quickly, but you can find them online. So the first one I have on the list is Metta, which is the loving kindness meditation. And simply you can sit quietly and imagine that the fontanelle, the area at the top of your head is receiving Metta because the idea is that at any given time on the planet, people are giving loving kindness out into the world as their meditation practice. And it's up there for you to just grab and bring it in. So you can, in essence, take energy from those who are actually willing to give it versus stealing it. Right. So there's, there's, that's the meta. Number two is grounding exercise. That would be, you know, you can create, you can visualize, imagine, or feel that your spine descends through your feet and into the earth and goes to the earth's core. And then you can imagine as you inhale, bringing up, bringing energy up through the earth and into your body. And as you exhale, you know, you can send energy back, but, but that's the way that you can connect. It's called grounding to the earth and get energy from mother earth. Another one, which is an easy one, maybe not easy for some is exercise, going for a jog, working out, even though you might resist doing it in the beginning, or you might not want to do it when it's over, you will have more energy. Number four I have is shaking your Kundalini, which is basically at the base of your spine is your sacrum. And it's a very powerful energy center in Hindu and other religions. And in there is energy is energy. And you can shake it. Like a great example is when you see two ducks on a lake arguing when they're done, they just kind of shake their wings and they're over their fight. Or like even dogs, you'll see, like if a dog is upset about something, they shake, they shake it off. Like they literally shake it off is a thing. So you can shake your Kundalini and get energy from that. You can take it next level, which is what I've been doing lately is I purchased a vibration plate and it's essentially a platform you stand on and you shake and it will shake up your lymphatic system. And what it does is I've experienced is that it 
it breaks up a lot of resistance in the human body. Like it can relax your body. It can decrease muscle tension. And it's a great way to like literally shake the Kundalini like next level. It's a vibration plate and it's used for weight loss and other things. But if you just want to use it for the energy aspect, it's awesome. It's a great way to get a pick me up in the middle of the day. And in that whole vein of exercise, yoga is a great, I believe Ashtanga yoga, because as a physical therapist, I kind of studied different yoga practices. And I think Ashtanga yoga is a great one for creating energy, just the way the organization of the movements is freaking brilliant. But anyways, number six, I would say oils, maybe cannabinoid oils, maybe fish oils, maybe omega oils, but our nervous system does need oils and it's a great way to get energy. Mm-hmm. Number seven is a clean diet, which is kind of an obvious one, but just staying away from processed foods and the sodium. And I believe in this might not be, not everyone might be ready for this, but I think getting rid of coffee is another one in the long term. You will have more energy if you can get rid of coffee. Number eight is pets. We can get energy from our pets. Like there's so many studies saying when you pet a dog or a cat, or you even stare at fish, your blood pressure drops. I think that there's a lot of beautiful, a beautiful exchange of energy between animals. Number nine would be hot and cold therapy. Wim Hof is a great one on this about, you know, taking a hot shower and then putting it on ice cold. Like there's ways to to create energy with contrast therapies, contrast therapy, meaning hot, cold, things like that. There's also number 10 breathing techniques, which also you can learn about through Wim Hof or a shaman. Number 11 and 12 are kind of the same, which is shamanic work or healing work. Go visit a a healer, an energy healer, a shaman, like pay someone to bring, give you that energy that you're looking for. You don't need to go look for that dopamine hit in other people without their consent. I should say (laughs) when you hire a healer, there's an exchange of energy, but it's in the form of money. You're giving them money and they're giving you back some sort of healing or energy. So it's a clean exchange versus trying to get it from other people without their consent. Right. Number 13 is those quote unquote self-care practices, like taking a hot bath or reading a book or just doing all these nice things that there's memes all over the globe about what you can do for self-care. You know, in a nutshell, that self-care kind of thing can rejuvenate you and give you energy. Number 14, I would say is massages. Go get a massage. That's a great way to get energy, especially if your language of love is touch. Number 15 is orgasm. Go self-pleasure if you don't have a partner, but orgasms is a great way to generate energy in your body. And when you orgasm, what you could do, for example, you feel the orgasm vibrations in your groin area. As you feel that you can inhale and try to imagine or feel that you're bringing that energy all the way up to the top of your head. So when you do that, you can actually bring the energy up breath by breath. And then maybe you might experience a full body orgasm, or maybe you might just filter that very beautiful energy throughout the whole body. And so it's not just the first and second chakra getting lit up. Yep. And you can also pump your PC muscles. So your perineum, and if you can Kegel exercises, whatever you want to call it, they're slightly different, but pumping that PC muscle is a banda in yoga, which means it's a hold in yoga, which forces or forces or encourages the, the energy to not leave through the bottom of your body, but actually go up through your spine. And by holding your muscle, you're able to do that. Right. And if you don't know how to do that, because you don't have the self-awareness to do that, just know that there are studies that show with EKGs that just by clenching your butt cheeks together, you are contracting your pelvic floor. So that when in physical therapy, if someone's having difficulty contracting their pelvic floor, we just say, you know, squeeze your glutes, because when you do that, you're going to be turning other things on that you're not aware of. And then number 16 is passion. Like if you have a passionate outlet, like dance, you know, poetry, whatever your passion is that can give you energy without sucking from others. And then number 17 is kind of a broad one. It's art, you know, art therapy, get some clay, get some paint, get some pen and pencils, get some markers, charcoal, whatever there art is so restorative and so beautiful. There are art therapists out there too. There's probably, there's content online. There's just a lot you can do with art as well. And that's a beautiful way to get energy without being a vampire. And that's my list. Amazing. Thank you. And I realized when you were saying that, that, that I hadn't actually gone into detail either about the control drama and how they describe getting out of the control drama. And 
I think what Anna's list is and, and also kind of that experience of expanding the, the, the beauty and appreciation for the world because there's subtle energy everywhere is a really important step. But basically in the book, the way they're describing end of the control drama is by increasing your awareness of it, right? So if you've been listening to the season, you already know about the drama triangle, which means that you probably already have, if you've looked at it, you've gained awareness of your role in the drama triangle and where you're going with that. And that's basically what they're saying in the book is like, have compassion for yourself and your partner or whoever it is that you're in a control drama with and just to keep expanding your awareness of it and keep expanding when you're actually seeing that. And by right. doing that, and then by finding these other forms of energy, you can get your fix without having to take it from other people. And what I also want to add to that is, yeah, you can get your fix elsewhere. Behavior therapists talk about replacement, like someone's doing a, sti a, a stimulus and you want to replace it with a more desired behavior. So this is replacement behaviors for the drama triangle. But what I want to say here is when you come out of the drama triangle, when you've given up your addiction, as you progress on this path and you no longer need the drama triangle, you might not need all these other ways to get energy because when you stop playing the drama triangle, you stop expending so much fucking energy. Like in the drama triangle, you get a, a quick hit of energy, but you are expending so much energy in the stress and the drama and bullshit of it that when you give up that drama triangle, you're just going to naturally flow more. You're not going to have as many highs and lows like you did in the drama triangle, which is why I've created this list of replacement behaviors to get you those hits. But ultimately, when you do let go of the drama triangle, you're not depleted as much as you were. So you don't even need to go looking for a replacement. Does that make sense? That does. And and one of the things that, that Anna's list I know has helped me too is for art. I'll use art as the example is that there'll be so many times when I'll text Anna, I'll be like, I want to fall into the drama triangle so fucking badly right now, right? Like my, it's like my sobriety is really at risk right now. I am so angry and I just need an outlet for this energy that I would normally put into pushing it off to somebody else, either this pain or this energy. And for me, I sit down now and I draw and I paint and I do the fuck out of some art <laughs> because that is what I have found right now is what's helping me to redirect the energy that I still haven't quite figured out how to recirculate in my body in a good way. If you know what I mean? Like the art allows it to transmute into a higher frequency so that then I can eat it. And it's like, Ooh, it is good food now. Right? Like mm -hmm. that's, and, and that's just an example of using that. So the, the last three insights are in separate books and I'm just going to go through them really quickly just to kind of touch on them. But I encourage you to read these books or to go elsewhere to, to look at summaries of them. So the 10th insight is that life in heaven, they talk about that, that there is a life in heaven, right? And that everything that is in heaven is guiding us on earth. So it's basically a view of how everything continues past in the quote unquote afterlife. And this is kind of what they're describing as like the afterlife is also is like when you lose your body, but it's also when you willingly lose your body, like they're saying that the Mayans did and what they're saying happens when you reach this ninth insight level. The 11th insight is the power of prayer and how prayer feeds the energy of the karmic design, which is what we were talking about way back in the third insight, which is this idea that like, everything has a design and it's all facilitating your lesson it's a big forgiveness play and if you pray you're feeding you're like feeding the the line of your of your spiritual design you're feeding your spiritual design so that it becomes more easily seen to you becomes more apparent and this prayer doesn't have to be i pray for this to happen it's just i pray right like i pray i'm feeding energy and i'm feeding this form of energy of like love and light to everything else and yeah, prayer is a good one. I didn't put it on the list, so I will add it to the to the printed list. Awesome. And then the 12th insight is the sensation of God's presence inside of us. So it's a whole book about how, like, when we feel the presence of God within us, like how wonderful that feels and kind of like, oh, if we don't feel that suddenly, how is it that we can kind of get back on this path? And you can either start at the beginning of the insights and start looking for synchronicities and things like that, or you can pray or you can, or you can like do what you need to do to get your source of energy from somewhere else. And then you'll probably easily find that you're going back on the path. So those are the last three insights. They all exist in other books. And I wanted to touch on those quickly. I love that. I think of all of them, like the most important is the 12th one, the sensation of God's presence inside us. Like 
as we become more centered in ourselves, and we let go of resistance and we become back to that zero state, our need to play these power trip games and, you know, it becomes unnecessary. Yep. Totally. I love it. Thanks for the the synopsis of this great book. And again, we'll have links to these books and I'll see if I can find any good cliff notes online and put that in the show notes. And then just a reminder, this is the end of season two. Next week, we've got our Halloween special. And then after that, we'll have a couple bonuses during the break. And we hope you use the break wisely. Catch up on the episodes you haven't listened to. If you haven't done the primal wound series or the drama triangle one i would definitely put that on your list share our podcast with friends so that you have something to talk about together in season three yeah and get ready y'all buckle in season three is going to be so fucking fun do you miss us between episodes you can go on instagram at this.spiritual.fix for all sorts of great content between episodes and remember humility gratitude acceptance done Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.